Episode 49, Part 2, What I Got Right. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. Sharing the adventure of leading and growing a bootstrapped SaaS company. Hear the experiences, challenges, wins, and losses shared in each episode from Aaron Waikie of Leadferno. Let's go. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. I'm Aaron Waikie, and today we dive into part two. What I got right and wrong the second time around starting a SaaS company. And part two is focused on what I got right. The last episode, episode 48, was the first part of this two-part series, and I shared my wrong decisions. And I want to say thanks to those of you that shared your appreciation socially or over email or a direct message, giving me that feedback, uh, appreciating the, the transparency. That's great. I truly hope, probably twofold. One, I think it's always good to share the things that happened to you and be able to express them, helps you deal with them, put them to bed, move on, turn on them, whatever that might be. But I truly do hope that for some of you, it causes you maybe extra thought in some of your decisions or when you go to start a company or even difficult fork in the road decisions that that you have to make with um, whatever conclusions you can draw from what I shared. Because at the end of the day, this whole thing is so extremely hard. And I know I greatly appreciate when I'm able to listen and read and take in from others about their experiences, right, wrong, good, bad, ugly. Uh, so again, uh, thanks for all that. But let's turn the page. Today we are moving on. We are moving on to the good and what I got right in starting Leadferno. So a much brighter uh, topic to some degree than, than last time. It's the whole reason why I wanted to get the bad out of the way and doing the wrong first. So number one, what I got right first and foremost, absolutely without a doubt, it's my co-founder. I asked Joel Headley to come along on this wild ride with me of starting a software company, creating Leadferno, and I cannot express how incredibly grateful I am that he said yes. Um, I think there's a number of elements that, that really go into this. And it's absolutely part of the reason when I started thinking about what I might do next. And before I even got solid enough on that idea or forming that far enough, I really knew Joel would be somebody I would enjoy working with. And... I kind of had the cheat in this, and maybe some people do and some don't, but I was able to get to know Joel for somewhere around seven or, or eight years before we started on this journey. So I had time with him. I spent time at conferences, dinners together, sightseeing, talking backstage or sitting in the back of the audience. Uh, I'm able to see him present, see him able to answer questions from people in the crowd, just so many different aspects really led me to believe that Joel would be a perfect person to co-found a company with, uh, go through the good times, the bad times, all the things that come along with joining up and co-founding a company together. And here to me are some of the key things that uh, entered my mind in thinking about working with Joel and, and seeking to do so. And then also when I look back at it now, what has led to that success. 
And I think number one is really choosing a, a co-founder that balances you out. This is not some big secret in life. I think a lot of people seek this in their significant relationships uh, with their significant others, where a lot of times friendships can really be about being with someone that's uh, like-minded, agrees with you, has your back, all of those things. But a lot of times in a, a spouse or a significant other, we find someone who has some of that to them, but they also fill in some of our weak spots. They challenge us. They make things that we're doing better because they're just different than what we are. It's not duplicating your experience, uh, how you view things, your ideas. It's attacking it from different angles and having different opinions and skills and experiences that are coming together in it. And so I think that's one thing as a, as a co-founder is when their strong skills are your weak ones and vice versa. This might be the, the job roles that you fulfill in the company initially when you start, and it just might be the two of you or three of you or four of you, depending upon how many founders you have. That's up to you and, and your choices uh, or the em employees you have or what areas of the company that, that you're going to lead. The next would be backgrounds and experience. And this is one area I really saw so much in, and I've talked about this before, that even though I had worked with Fortune 100 clients and six and seven figure projects and large things, it just paled in comparison to what Joel was working on in the decade that he was with Google and being a product manager there and working on things inside of local search uh, and maps and, and some of those products where my data sets and the things I thought were large just completely obviously pale in comparison to how he solved things and how he looked at things. And vice versa, I also brought something to the table of just more of that empathy of the small business owner and those who are going to be targeting and what it's like to use some of these things on a small scale when technology isn't your first focus. And so I think that just has meshed uh, so well. And I think you don't have to have polar opposites. Um, Joel and I definitely have a lot of overlap in the things that we have experience in and what we understand and what we've been focused on at different times and excited about. But we also also have enough variation outside of that uh, that I really think helps create a, a great collaboration. And lastly, this one kind of factors into both the business side and I think the human side is that no matter what is different, you still have alignment on your vision being that same thing. And I, I think the vision can be the same for both the product and the company with what you want to do, what you want to solve, how you want to achieve that, but also the same of maybe your vision in life, how you like to be treated, how you like to treat others, what makes you happy, what makes you uncomfortable. When you have some of that alignment as well, it really works well to just be on the same page, help each other out, understand each other have conversations that go past roadmaps and features and churn and growth, uh, being able to invest each in each other, both as um, professionals, as co-founders, as people running the company, but also as humans and friends at the same time. And I get in every situation, it might not have that amount of growth or some of those same elements to it, and they might not be needed. But I can definitely say in my case, especially with some of the things that we've experienced in three years into our journey, uh, me finding out about my heart failure and having 
uh, two different week-long hospital stints and Joel having to put uh, the sales side of things on his back uh, as well as still reaching out to me and caring for me and asking what he can do for me. And in fact, Joel and I often stick around after our daily standups and might talk a little bit. Sometimes it's about business. Sometimes it's about life. And just today afterwards, Joel was there and I was expressing some frustrations with things and just having a hard time with some motivational mindsets this week. And one of his first questions is always, what, what can I do to help? What can I do for you? And that's just one small representation of how that comes to the surface. And even in small seconds and small instances, in addition to all the large ones, I'm so incredibly happy, pleased with my decision and proud that Joel is my co-founder. And that's absolutely the biggest thing uh, that I got right, because without that being a right decision, there's a whole lot that can go wrong after that. My next one is investors. Uh, this time around, after always being part of bootstrapped companies in my life, I decided that uh, some investment was going to be helpful. Um, and a little bit different of approach to this, I wanted to basically raise an angel round and then never raise investment again, run the company as a bootstrapped company after that. But I knew based on the product that we were going to create, coming into a space that there's already expectations because people are already texting and Android and iOS have given them an expectation on the features that a text messaging app should have and how it should perform and speed and reliability and things like that. I knew we couldn't go with a very minimum viable product and bring that to market. It would just fall too short. There was already enough competitors, already enough things out there. And then even though we had things that were going to be unique and different and we were going to stay rooted to those, we definitely needed to have a little more maturity and elements to our product that met expectations of the market. So in deciding that I was going to raise um, that round, one, I had never raised investment before. I definitely treated, I'd, I've done a lot of sell sales, selling big projects, selling projects that are hundreds of thousands and even tiptoed across to a million dollars in value. So that part really um, wasn't daunting to me. So I took calls. I took calls with people I didn't know at all that were just referred to me based uh, on people they know who like to invest in companies who were angel investors or other investors. I got feedback, but I definitely pitched a lot of people that I knew that knew me. And I think there ended up being some really right aspects to this. Now, one area where I really um, lucked out is so many of these people I have had a track record with either um, working with, working alongside, one, actually, we both led competing companies. We worked on boards together of associations. Um, and one was a longtime friend that I also had other business relationships with. So in the end, the, the, the handful of angel investors that we brought on board, they knew me, they trusted me, they had been witness to a lot of my journey. Um, and on the flip side, I also knew the kind of people they were, that they were supportive, that they were positive that they wanted to help make something great happen and not force it. I knew what their ultimate goals were. The hard thing with some of that sometimes is you're taking money and investment, and even though you separate those things, there isn't anything I feel more pressure on than to deliver for them, oftentimes even more uh, than myself. I do not want to let them down. 
And that can be a really great motivator. And sometimes that can be a, a really heavy thing. And so no matter what, how you decide if you can handle dealing with uh, investors you know, or you want to completely stay away with it, I, I will say I approached no family members other than, let's just say my wife is an investor in time and our lack of income uh, over the initial years and, and those kinds of things. So I definitely should count her as an investor. But outside of that, uh, I wasn't really uh, willing to pitch any other family members, even though some of them are in the position and probably would have been happy to contribute to what my vision was and what my next thing was. I just didn't want to cross that line. I think number one, what was really important is I was very clear with my goals for the company. I wasn't going with them trying to sell them a, a unicorn, a rocket ship, anything else. I wanted to sell them a very similar situation to what I just went through. Uh, the size of company that we were able to grow, gather up to, and the size of exit that it ended up being. And, you know, two of them were people directly involved with that. So they knew how possible that was. And they knew that it would also be a good return on uh, investment if we're able to make that happen in a five to, to 10 year window. And maybe a few years more than that. You just never know because growing a company is so hard. So I think me being clear with those expectations and what my goals were for the company and also them being realistic and being through these things where it wasn't someone coming into angel investing and saying, oh, well, if I sink this, I'm hoping for a 51, 50 to one return or a 100 to one return. I want to place uh, some of these bets and really have them be a, a huge payday for me down the road. That wasn't the type of investors I was seeking. And the next thing is uh, I was very, very favorable in my investment terms. I felt like I gave a favorable evaluation of what the company was worth and the percentage that they would be getting. And then I just also looked at small things within the investment terms too. So one thing um, that I wrote in is if I do sell, my angel investors get paid first, their amount that they invested into the company then the remaining amount is what is divided into the percentages based on stock ownership of the company. And that was one thing that I know for a couple of them really went a long way because they ended up knowing that if for some reason uh, things had to exit earlier or I just decided I wanted to exit earlier on something that continued to grow, they weren't going to get just this small percentage of what that lump was and I was going to see you know, a, a majority of that percentage. They get paid first, then the remaining of what's left after those initial investments is what uh, ends up being um, distributed as profit among them. So in the end, I chose a lot of um, great investors, happy to have them along with the ride, always there to uh, cheer me on. Some have been great in making uh, introductions and pieces like that. And they've never been a hindrance, which I think is one of the biggest things you'll hear, hear people talk about when they entertain some type of investment is at some point it becomes a hindrance. And that's never been the case for me. The next one that I got right is Leadferno's vision. And I feel so good about this that three years into this, I still, I actually feel stronger about what we're trying to solve, how we're trying to go about it and the progress that we're having with the customers that we have and the ones that we work every day to try to obtain. And I think this is a really important thing. And I've, I've stressed this before. If you go back to 
even some of our earlier episodes when I'm talking from my last company, Gather Up, I just think it's so important to understand your company and your product's DNA and just having that self-awareness to be who you are and not be someone else. I see this so prevalent in SaaS. There's a market leader or two that are idolized and looked up to, and they have great brand reach, and your customer base knows who they are. And so many people just want to knock off that product. I'm going to make this, but cheaper. I'm going to make this, but just for that. And it's not to say some of those scenarios can't work, but for me, myself, I would just have a hard time working on anything that I wasn't building an identity for and creating a brand and aligning a vision that I'm able to stay consistent with as I continue to move on. I know that I've definitely talked in past episodes that when you have a very solid vision of your product and your company, it makes it so much easier to make decisions when you hold that as the the core of how you're making your decision. Does how I'm treating this customer align with our vision? Does going after this market align with our vision of what we're trying to achieve? Is this feature in alignment with our vision? When you have something that you can treat as the backbone of what you're doing, I really think it makes so many of your other decisions in running the business, product roadmaps, hires, all of those other things, so much easier because you're using how does it align with your vision as a measuring stick, as a deciding factor when you weigh out pros and cons in these things. Yes, it's not your only one. You balance these things with what's happening in the market, what kind of feedback are you getting from the people who turn you down? What kind of feedback are you getting from the people who are your customers and using the product every day? But I really think the, the best founders have some element uh, of understanding at the core what they want to achieve. And even though it might bend and turn and, and twist a little bit, that core is still there guiding you and feeding you. And at the end, one of the most important things I can think is when you have this vision and how strong you feel about it and you nurture it, you water it, you grow it, you stay aligned to it, you don't abandon it, this definitely helps keep you motivated, helps keep you passionate and excited. And we all know that's needed because, man, this journey can beat you down. It can beat you down in short amounts of time. It can beat you down in long amounts of time. You can walk into a call feeling like a million bucks and walk out feeling like you're broke and owing someone a million bucks. The day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute fluctuation of being an entrepreneur is something that can just be unbelievably great and extremely difficult just right up against each other. So those are the reasons I think why being and really thinking about your vision and being true to it and strong with it and passionate about it and using who you are to your advantage and staying true to it is so helpful and is definitely one of the things I feel I got right. All right, the next one is our one that has made an appearance in both episodes in What I Got Wrong. I talked about Flutter, specifically Flutter Web. And I mentioned on that that this was going to make a repeat appearance in the second episode here on What I Got Right, but I would say what we got right is also Flutter, especially Flutter Mobile. And yes, Flutter Web was challenging, caused delays, headaches, having to relearn some things and whatever else, but Flutter Mobile has really allowed us to manage Android and iOS deployment 
of apps for mobile pretty easily. And in this, I definitely, I definitely don't mean this like, oh, it's easy. It's a snap. It has been something that has been controllable that knock on wood, we haven't had major issues with. It has been something that is uh, reliable um, and has allowed us uh, to continue to mature the product and do the right things and be something that isn't glitchy uh, and is easy to use for our customers uh, and everything else. And especially as our team's gone along and has the learning, right? Our, our Flutter developer on our team, she now has, she's been with us since day one. She has three years of understanding and her learnings and we've exposed her to other resources. Uh, and, you know, every time something comes out, you break things you know, hopefully in, in dev or your staging environment, you learn how to fix them before they reach uh, production. But it really has been an asset. When I look back at founding and knowing we were going to build something that was going to be both a web application and a mobile application, and I had never done that before. I had built web apps. I had led building mobile apps, but never the same application. I didn't have that at my last SaaS company. It felt a little daunting. It was also very exciting. And I'm really glad things have worked out and gone as smoothly as they had. Yes, are there things in uh, Flutter that are frustrating, like state management and some of the libraries and some of the approaches to things? But again, the things that help me sleep at night from being reliable and efficient and allowing us to deploy in multiple areas kind of off of one main core is definitely a big win for a very small company trying to do really big things. All right, my next one and second to last one is, or I should say third to last one is feature alignment. And this kind of ties in with the, the vision. And so I think this is kind of uh, one that really relates when you have a great vision. And this really allows you to create and have a lot of uh, a very robust list of how to build against it. And it's really about figuring out what to prioritize as you build the product instead of wondering, what should we build? I have definitely listened to other SaaS founders and product owners and the ways they use to figure out like what are some things we should be building, ideas, things like that. And I've never struggled with that. I have a very long list of features. Our challenge in being a small team is figuring out how do we prioritize it based on impact, based on demand, how does it affect revenue, how does it affect performance? And really at the end of the day, I'm always looking at it, how does this align with our vision? Because it's really easy to get thrown for some turns based on what customers are requesting, what the market is showing demand for, or what becomes the buzz, right? It's, it's almost impossible now to have an app and not be somehow considering or getting pushed in the way uh, of AI and figuring out what to do with chat GPT and things like that because of, of all the buzz. But when you can have feature alignment with your vision, it can allow you to stay focused on what you're trying to do. For me, that alignment comes, um, I'm also aligned with uh, creating features that I can uh, see work together in use cases. When you understand the end result that's trying to be achieved and when you can string those features along that 
using them in conjunction or in a stair-step approach of use this feature and then move along to you that matures it to put it into this feature and then to this feature and then you get this amazing outcome that you would never achieve without it. I love things like that. So really when it comes down to feature alignment, when you can align what you're building with that vision, if you already get that right, then it's just figuring out how to prioritize uh, those things. And I'm incredibly excited for how Joel and I this entire time have been aligned on features. Sometimes he brings other ideas to the table. We're able to collaborate and figure out the best way to approach it, the best finished product, what that might be. But I'm excited because we know what we're going to do this year. We'll probably have a few things thrown in, but even beyond that. And as we evolve, we'll continue to understand and, and drive that more. The next one is our UI and UX. And this one, I just, I don't have to probably expand on a lot, but the most frequent comment that I get from people coming out of a demo or their first few days or weeks using the product is something to the effect of, great job, this is really easy and clean to use. And that's just music to my ears because you can't create the friction. We've all used apps that it's a struggle to figure out what you're doing and how to do it. It just feels congested or too tight or too complicated. And at the end of the day, knowing the market and what we're trying to do, we want to make an impact and impression that our business is all about making your business easier to work with. We darn well better be easy to work with too. And to me, I've always subscribed that in user experience, you're never trying to make the users you know, learn something new as much as you want to superpower something they already know how to do. So especially in creating something where our main focus is engaging with customers using messaging and texting, they're already using so many apps that interact in this way. So instead of saying, well, here's our unique way on doing this, what we want to do is borrow the things that they're already doing and we want to be able to supercharge them, make them easier or make their output greater uh, in using those same type of features or steps or visual cues in the interface. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to help them be more efficient, scale what they're doing. Now, I think the challenge here, uh, even though we've got our initial designs right, both desktop and mobile, we get great feedback. It's how to stay true to this as you continue to grow and add more features and build more into our product. That's definitely the challenge as we go along is keeping those same comments of this is really easy, intuitive, and clean for our UI and our UX. And lastly, my, my last item and, and the item that I enjoy greatly is our team. I'm super appreciative of our team. When we started out, we flexed a little bit bigger. Um, we brought people in with certain expertises for certain aspects, components of the timeline, features to be built and things like that. But now we have a, a core of people that are really great. They care about each other. We share parts of our personal lives with each other. And it, it's so fun to watch that team come together from the start. And we really haven't made any big missteps in building this team. As I talked about in the last episode, I wish we would have found people with more experience in, in Flutter and that would have been helpful for us. But at the end of the day, we got really great people. They continue to work hard and they've now achieved, they have that experience. Our product and us working together ha has brought that. And when you get people that care about each other, they care about their work, they care about the vision, 
they're just so much more productive and happy. And there's just all kinds of other wins that, that come out of that. And I can say this is one of the things I've loved most across my entire gamut of starting companies and building teams and, and everything else from my agency days, incredible people, some of which I still work for or reach out to for help, hire as contractors. And I still always smile when I get hit up to be uh, a reference on someone taking their next big step uh, in, the, in their career and some of the places and companies that those people have worked for. And in my last SaaS startup, the GatherUp team are still so many of them I'm in touch with some of them weekly, some monthly, some definitely a few times a year, but I'm still in their corner and they're still in mine. Um, and I love that uh, we have a core of that at, at Leadferno. And as we continue to build and achieve success and need more great people to continue to bring those types of, of people in, because I definitely believe at the end of the day that the right people can get you anywhere. All right. So I feel good sharing the things that I, I got right, much better than when I ended up sharing the things that I got wrong. But that transparency, that reflection is definitely important as well. I hope both this episode and the combination of these episodes is really helpful to you because hopefully I've shared enough about some of the things and how I think about them, approach them, what I got right, what I got wrong, what was at stake can help you in your decision-making. Because at the end of the day, making decisions such an incredible, important aspect of running a business. It's about the problems you solve and the decisions you make to solve them the fastest, the slowest, highest quality way, the lowest quality way, the most expensive, the least expensive, right? You're weighing these things out. But I can say without a doubt that the faster you can make decisions is definitely to your benefit with as much information as you can have to get you as far as you can. Boy, I should really figure out a way, a better way to say that, but hopefully you get to what I'm hitting at. You can't have all the information to make a decision. That's too easy. That just doesn't happen in entrepreneurship. You also don't want to just guess. So it is this slope of asking the right questions to gather enough information, looking in the right places, talking to the right people and doing it in a timely manner so that you're not costing yourself too much time. When you cost yourself more time than to make a wrong decision, figure out it's wrong, correct it, and then go back, and you wasted that same amount of time just to make it, well, you cut out that time, you cut out the learning and experience, you probably did gain some things as well as what you lost. I'm just a big believer in making those decisions as fast as you can. And it's the you can part that I guess you really have to understand with enough resources, talking to the right people, considering the right things. All right. Hopefully that didn't send your mind uh, in a tizzy and there's some clarity uh, in what I talked about there. So thanks so much. Again, hopefully you enjoyed this two-part series. If you did, I would love for you to leave a review. Those always help others find the podcast as well. And of course, always sharing it socially, supporting when I share it socially, directly sharing it with a friend. I appreciate all of those things. And thank you so much. And we will see you next time.